0: Well, we're in the book of Jonah. If you weren't with us last week, we talked about uh, Jonah and uh, the issue of that he'd been given a command by God to go and preach the good news, but one of repentance to the people of Nineveh. Interesting. The command was an imperative. It was a challenge. But yet it was something that Jonah didn't want to do. And I wondered at that point as I chatted with you and shared last Sunday how many of us have run away from what God has told us to do and unfortunately paid the consequences. And so often that is true. So Jonah takes away, he, he runs away, he goes to Joppa, he books passage on a ship to Tarshish opposite direction is going towards uh, Mesopotamia instead of Phoenicia and in the whole process he thinks he can run from God and we talked about that last week we said you know how how dumb is that to run away from God Adam tried to hide from God and God said where are you Adam Elijah and fear of his life ran from a wicked woman, can't blame him. But in the process, God speaks to him and says, You know, what are you doing, Elijah? And he tells him, and he's running away again. All of us have run away from different perspectives. But the story needs to be always told about there are always consequences from running away from God. I closed last week with the little snippet from verse 4. And I said, God sent a wind and there arose a storm. God sent a storm. Does God send storms into our lives when we disobey? You bet. As a child, I learned that storm was my mother. She liked to call me out on things with a vengeance. She said she did that because she loved me. There are times I really questioned that, as most of us at one point or another have as well. But I thought, you know, I thought to myself, you know, there arose a storm. You know, we read the Bible, there's a storm. Like, yeah, yeah, right. And then I thought about a movie called The Perfect Storm. And you remember nineteen nineteen ninety one, there was a ship that set out from the coast of Massachusetts called the Andrea Gale had gone a ship, it was a 70-foot ship, men had gone uh, fishing. They went to actually the Grand Banks off of Newfoundland to go fishing, found no fish there. And uh, then as a result of that, not finding fish, they, they sailed another 350 miles east from there and uh, to find the fishing, uh, to find a place to fish. And as a result of that, they were able to get a, a pretty big haul. But on the way back, they said what happened was what we call a perfect storm there was a hurricane coming up from uh, down around the southern states and there was another storm coming across and they both came together and the term for that is called it nor'easter so as a result of that I read up on the article and it said the Coast Guard continued searching for a fishing boat due back in Gloucester last Friday for a trip to the Grand Banks off Newfoundland They were supposed to have returned to port by Saturday with its crew of six fishermen. Several Gloucester fishermen were said to be aboard the vessel. The Coast Guard officials were withholding crew members' names this morning, pending notification of their families. They found parts of that ship washed up on Sable Island off the coast of Canada. The vessel had not been heard from Thursday. It was reported to be 180 miles northeast of Canada's Sable Island. The missing vessel was reported to be encountering 30-foot seas and 50 to 80 knot winds kicked up by nor'easter that devastated coastal New England last week. The life, the Coast Guard said, We hope everyone is okay, but as you know, all hands were lost. Uh, it's not a movie I really wanted to watch. we saw, Some of you saw the clips of that ship coming up, and you're thinking, Is it, it going to fall back? You just don't know. So when the Bible says God sent a storm, I said, God knows how to send a storm. So that would would just beg me to say, number one, why do you want to mess with God when he can bring up storms? It just just makes me think how ludicrous it sometimes is when we think we can run away from God, do our own thing, and and there's no consequences. like, we we can do it. It's, It's totally cool. Sometimes I think we forget who we're messing with. Because we put our faith and trust in Christ and we ask him to save us from our sin, and we've invited him into our life, and he now becomes our Abba Father, and he directs us and leads and directs our lives. We try to move away. What's going to happen? You think your mother is bad? You're messing with a heavenly God who loves you with a passion that's unbelievable. And will God shake your world when you walk away? Yes. Yes and yes. But the trouble is when people run away from God, that somehow their imagination, their mind just disconnects totally. And they, they just don't think about that. Just like when Eve bit out of that forbidden fruit in the garden. They, there's a sense that we forget the consequences when we run from God. And there's times I wish I could tell men and women and boys and girls, hey, don't run away from God. Don't sin. Don't do this because when you do, there are always consequences to be paid. And when those consequences come calling, it's going to be worse than what you ever imagined. But people still do the dumb, stupid, silly stuff every day. Because we think we can live our lives the way we want, according to our terms, And we think there's no consequences. And that's why people keep doing dumb, stupid stuff like running away from God. How do I know? Because I'm one of them. Every one of us at one point or another in our lives have said, God, you know what? I'm just doing what I want because I deserve it. And God says, really? So we go to Jonah 1 verse 4. The Lord sent a great wind on the sea, and such a violent storm arose that the ship threatened to break up. God uses storms for different reasons in our lives. They teach us that life in itself is not controlled by our desires or wants. It's not about you. And storms can bring us to our knees or it can harden our hearts. Sometimes when we harden our hearts, it leads to bitterness. I've met people that profess to know God, uh, put their faith and trust in Him, and there's just a bitterness and hardness of heart because when they walked away from God, there's stuff that went down in their lives, and they say, if that's the way God is, and I said, wait a minute. Aren't you the one that walked away? Aren't you the one that did stuff? Well, if he was really a loving father, he wouldn't let this happen to me. Oh, I'm sorry. That's not the way he operates. The storm that happened here in Scripture was brought about by Jonah's disobedience to the command of God to preach to the Ninevites as seen in Jonah chapter 1, verse 2. Does God use storms today to turn our hearts back to him? Yeah. The question is, do we realize it? And what I say about that is that I believe that God, when he works in our lives, will sometimes discipline us. The Bible says, whom the Lord loveth, I'm quoting the old King James, what I remember way back when, whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth, and he scourges every son who he receives. In other words, God says, because I love you, you're going to get spanked from time to time, because that that shows that I care. If I didn't spank you, if I didn't discipline you, it would show I don't give a rip about what's going on in your life. So God is in the business of correcting us. So the issue then come, that comes out here is this. Does God want me to have my heart turned back to him? Yes. Will I want to experience negative consequences in my life in order for me to turn my heart back to him? The answer is yes. But as I said earlier, when that happens, do you recognize it? When you start looking at the circumstances that are going on in your life right now, Can you tell whether God's trying to bring you back? What's He he trying to teach you? What's He trying to show you? Because if He's trying to bring you down to your knees. You know what you can do? You can say, you know what? I give up, Lord. I remember as a teenager at one point, sitting in an old broken-down Galaxy 500. He said, it was a Ford. No wonder. No. With a 289 four-barrel, living on my own, thinking I had life by by the tail, but everything was going on. And I remember sitting in that car, Black leather seats, chrome trim was really cool. Anyways, 8-track player. I'm dating myself now. But I remember thinking to myself as a 17-year-old teenager, not living with my parents, doing my own thing, living in a boarding house. I thought, God, I've heard messages about this before where you take people down to your knees. And I I remember thinking to myself, Lord, I don't want to go there. I'm giving up right now. Because I know when God works in your life, he's got a handle on your life. God means business. And I remember that juncture in my life, driving my car back to my mother and father's place, apologizing to them for the way I behaved and what I had done, and said, whatever you say, mom and dad, goes and I'm not messing with it. I'll get rid of the car. Go back to high school, finish whatever I need to do, I would do it your way. And they said, What happened? I said, Well, I just believe God got a hold of my life. I was still praying, still reading my Bible, trying to do my own thing, but I knew in my heart what I was doing was wrong. And so when God creates that awareness in your life, and you realize that the, the direction you're going is wrong, and God's brought some storms, He's brought some stuff in your life, repent, make it right. Get back on track with him. There's another message to be preached how do you know the storm is for my disobedience or is this is a storm just to teach me? That's another story. And this story was because of Jonah's disobedience. So God is pursuing Jonah, the runaway prophet. How do you like that? God pursues people who leave him. Hmm. Loving God. See, so whenever we stray, He'll use His word sometimes to convict us. Sometimes He'll use a person to speak into our lives. Sometimes He'll allow us to experience the consequences of our actions just to say, Come on back. Whatever the case, when we stray from God, it's not a good place to be. It really isn't. It might be okay for a while, but deep in your heart, you know where you're at. You say, This is not where I I should be in my life. This is not where God wants me. God's got something better, and He really does. I wish we all could be obedient to the call of God in our lives, but unfortunately, we're like our forefather Adam, who likes to do his own thing and go his own way. Joshua one, the last (coughs) first part of verse five says this: All the sailors were afraid. And each cried out to his own God, and they all threw the cargo into the sea to lighten the ship. what's interesting about that is that when you look at this whole thing is these are experienced sailors. These weren't landlubbers like the Jews. These were guys who understood what it meant to be a fisherman, what to be seafarers. But isn't it interesting that when a believer runs from God, disobeys him, how those who are unbelievers or pagans Are affected by the decisions of believers who run away from God. So often we think that when I disobey God, it's on me and nobody else is affected. And that's a lie straight from the pit of hell. Because I've seen so many people talk, when I share with them the importance of knowing Christ as your Savior, they always point out to a person who has told them they're a Christian, they said, because of the way he He's lived, acted, did this to me or whatever. I don't want anything to do with the God he serves. I don't want to be a Christian because as a Christian. I don't want anything to do with it. See, what we do affects people around us. We choose to disobey God. We choose to do our own thing. It affects everyone around us, especially our families. See, when you turn away from God deliberately, it's often the people closest to you that feel the consequences. When you go down, you always take somebody down with you. Is your running away from God a stumbling block to others? Always. Always. Because people are always watching your life to see as to what you have is really real. You say, Oh, that's you kind of put a huge burden on my back there, Pastor. Like, oh man, that's so heavy. It's true though. You know, I've said it before, and I'll say it again. Sometimes the only Bible people will read is your life. So make it worth reading. And what I mean by that is that live out your Christ-like convictions and what Christ has done in your life in such a way that people can see the genuineness, the authenticity that Christ makes a difference. For experienced sailors to show such fear in this storm is interesting. They were so afraid they got religious. <laughs> these polytheists, they believed in many gods, and they started praying. Says, and so I'm thinking, perfect storm. Yeah, that's about right because these guys are—they're they're praying. They're like, oh man, oh, where they were—they knew they were in desperate straits. In their continued state of desperation, they threw cargo overboard. By the way, that's their salary out the window. Without goods to transport, that's money down the tubes. They're paying a steep price for Jonah's disobedience. Yes, our sin does not only affect our relation with God, but affects all those around us. How many other lives are messed up because of my disobedience to God? Is my boss not a Christian because my life of disobedience is inconsistent with what I share or tell others? I tell the people, yeah, I'm a Christian, I love God, but because of what I've lived and done before this, my people around me, they say, well, I don't want anything to do with that. Are there shattered relationships in my family because I refuse to submit to God's commands in my life? People are affected by how you live. What a mess, you say. But the question is, what is Jonah doing? Go to the last part of verse 5. But Jonah had gone below deck, where he lay down and fell into a deep sleep. <laughs> What a picture of a disobedient Christian. He's hardened and asleep to the claims and the command of God. The the sailors are struggling for their lives, and Jonah Jonah is oblivious to what's going on. Doesn't that sound like us? We're asleep as a church, and sometimes oblivious to the people of Amosburg, who are lost with no sense of hope. We love coming here. We love singing the choruses. We like greeting one another. But we're oblivious to people going to hell all around us because they don't know Jesus. The thing is, we have the answer, but we're asleep to the needs of those who are lost around us. I'm wondering, though, still, I was talking to my neighbor, Norm, about this. I was talking about the message. You said, you were talking to your neighbor about the message? Yeah, they were asking, hey, so what are talking about? I'm sitting in the garage, talking away, talking away, and my question was, how, how did he sleep through the storm? And my neighbor Norm says, yeah, how does a, how does a guy sleep in a storm like that? I said, you know, I have to question that myself. But have you ever gone to a deep sleep and try to wake up and you can't move your body's sort of like paralyzed? And this happens called REMS, rapid eye movement sensory. And what happens is your body goes into this deep, deep sleep and when it gets to that deep sleep, you get a real sense of real rest in your body. For those of you older, sorry, as we get older, we get less and less of it. You can tell. Don't do that to me in church, okay? And so, when you go to that deep, deep sleep, stage three or four, it means you're out of the picture. But the thing is, when you have a hardened heart, because you, you can, and a seared conscience, yeah, you can sleep because you sometimes wonder, and I've thought this myself, how can people who have done much more despicable things even sleep and go to sleep at night knowing what they've done? But when you've hardened your conscience and you've got a hardened heart, that can happen. You know, when you run from God, it can cost you physically, and yes, it affects your health and rest. There's a, sleeping boat, there's a sleeping prophet while a boat is sinking. Let's go to verse 6. The captain went to him and said, How can you sleep? Get up. Call on your God. Maybe he will take notice of us and we will not perish. Even the captain's freaking out. He's just like, Oh man, what are we going to do here? In desperation, the captain wakes up Jonah and challenges him to pray. You know, things are getting bad when unbelievers are calling on Christians to pray because of the crises they're in I thought has that ever happened to us and I was thinking like I remember one situation uh, with LaSalle Fire it was the emergency call chaplain there was a, a VSA call a vital signs absent and I was called in to help uh, a situation which I'm gonna leave everything named but it was a mother who lost her son uh, I saw the whole thing taking place and I was waiting for my opportune moment when things quieted down to go in. I was in the same room, saw it going down, to just pray with a woman who would lost her son. And in that process, I remember uh, a police officer coming in, look, assessing the situation, and starts yelling, at me, aren't you going to pray or something? And I'm like, really? Because you saw the mother was grieving over her son. I thought, I'm waiting for the opportune time. When things settle down, to be able to just, you just don't. When you're in a situation like that, you want to really size up the situation very carefully because you don't want to be obtrusive, but you want to come in at the right time to say, hey, between crying and weeping to pray in that situation. But yet, have you ever had an unbeliever come to you in your life to shake you up from your lethargy and call on you to smarten up? A church that isn't praying is never going to see God move in a significant way do you, do, you hear, do you hear me there? A church that isn't praying is never going to see God move in a significant way. And that's why we challenge you every Sunday morning if you get a chance join us 9:30 pray with us. pray so, Well, I don't and, you know sometimes I hear people I don't like to pray out loud I won't just sit to him and pray quietly. But when the church gathers again and starts praying, that's when God starts moving. That's when God starts moving. Uh, one of the churches I was really impressed with, I had a chance to go to a C. It was in New York. It's in Brooklyn. It was a Brooklyn tabernacle and Jim Sim- Symbolist church. And they took over a huge theater. They renovated it. I heard Jim Symbolo preach and talk about that their Wednesday night prayer meeting is the biggest meeting of the entire week. And to hear the stories of what God is doing in that church is, like, phenomenal. Because people are gathering to pray. And then I went to Chicago Tabernacle where I saw his daughter Chrissy and her husband also. And went to that prayer meeting and saw what God was doing there. It was just totally amazing. But when my people are called by my name, humble themselves, and call upon me, what? That's when he answers. So I just challenge you. I'm not trying to beat you over the head. Start praying. Start. We need more people to join with us in praying for our community, our church, and families. But in this situation, going back to the storm that's gathering around, the unbelievers can see it's a mess and they're saying, Jonah, wake up! Start praying! And I would say to you today, it's time for the church to wake up! Start praying! for the lost to come to Christ. Pick it up in verse 7 with me. Then the sailors said to each other, Come, let us cast lots to find out who's responsible for this calamity. (laughs) It was like uh, 20 straws. They cast lots, and the lot fell on Jonah. Surprise, surprise. Casting lots, by the way, was a biblical uh, custom for discernment. You see it in Joshua 7, verse 16, where they're trying to find out who sinned because it caused a, a bad... To a lot of, when they battled against AI they, Ai, they lost, and they were destroyed. And then God said there's sin in the camp, and they cast lots, and it fell on Achan. In Acts uh, chapter 1, verse 26, after Judas had committed suicide, they cast lots to determine who should replace Judas. It was Matthias. So, But yet, at this point, we don't do it today because we have the written word of God. We have his Holy Spirit to direct us so we don't cast lots. So, when they found out that Jonah was the cause, they started asking him a lot of questions. Look in verse 8, they said to him, Tell us who is responsible for making all this trouble for us. What did you do? Where do you come from? Where is your country? From what people are you? It raised a lot of questions. Why all the questions? If we're going down, we need to know why. Notice Jonah's response, verse 9. He answered, I'm a Hebrew, and I worship the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the land. In other words, I worship the God of the universe. His statement really, to me, seems to be a contradiction. He has the right answer, the right beliefs, but how can he say, I worship God, when he's running away from God? But how many people do I meet, and you meet too, And say I'm a Christian, but I don't go to church. Hear it all the time. Really? If you're a Christ follower, you'd be part of church because it was that was part of His plan. Yeah, you're a Christian and you don't go to church, you don't read the Bible, you don't pray a lot, but yet you're a Christian. Really? Isn't that a contradiction in terms? For people to say I'm a Christian, but I don't do any of those things. You can believe in all the right doctrines of Scripture intellectually. But if you express a little desire to follow God, I question whether you're really saved. Are you really a Christian? Unfortunately, we have a lot of that going on in our community today. People can profess to be Christians and live in disobedience all their lives but say, "Yeah, I don't follow God, I don't follow his word, but I'm a Christian. Really? I can say Christ is all I need. But all I need for him is to bail me out of bad situations, then I really don't need him. I can see that I believe in prayer, but I don't pray. Again, it's a sad indictment on Christianity today. Let's pick it up verse 10. Uh, when he told them all what he believed in, this terrified them, and they asked, what have you done? They knew he was running away, see them brackets, from the Lord, because he had already told them, so I'm running away from God. Oh. The sailors fear the storms and now they fear the real God whom Jonah, because of his disobedience, was now led to tell him about. Many times you hear God asking questions. Adam, where are you? What are you doing here, Elijah? It's noteworthy here that the sailors are asking the question and zeroing in on Jonah's sin. No one likes to have their sin called out. But it's needed there to be for a course correction of one's life. You know, sometimes you say, somebody said, Do you ever, as a pastor, have to come for people in their lives about things they do wrong? The answer is yeah. Do you enjoy it? I hate it. As a parent, are there times you're called upon by God and just by what God has given you to call out your kids on things they do wrong? Yeah. Is it like, oh, I just enjoy making their lives miserable and calling out what's wrong? Do I how many say, yeah, I really enjoy doing that? You know what, I don't see a single hand. What I hear is sometimes parents that wrestle over those decisions and struggle with those decisions because they want to speak truth into their children's lives. Because sometimes, and I need to go off on a slight tangent, i going to come back. And sometimes people, parents sometimes want to be their children's friends. I want to puke when I hear that, by the way. They want to be their friends so they don't challenge them on stuff in their lives the best thing you can do is be a parent, call out what they're doing that's wrong, and in the end, they will respect you. They might not respect you at the moment. They might even hate your guts. But the thing is, we're all called upon, from time to time, as Scripture lays it on our hearts, to call out sin. And in Jonah's life, it was the sailors, the unbelievers, that were calling him out. The Bible says in Proverbs 28, 13, these words, whoever conceals his sin, does not prosper. But the one who confesses and renounces them finds mercy. Jonah knows he's responsible for the calamity, and so do the sailors. Uh, let's pick it up again. In Jonah 1, 11 and 12, the sea was getting rougher and rougher, so they asked him, what should we do to you to make the sea calm down for us? Pick me up, throw me into the sea, he replied, and it will become calm. I know that it is my fault and that this storm has come upon you. In other words, I'm the reason you're going, you're going through all this suffering. I'm the reason you lost all your wages. I'm the reason. One thing I preach about Jonah, he owns up to his mistakes. He admits I'm the sinner. The response to their to this question was unthinkable. They they knew they would be throwing him to his death. They didn't want the wrath of Jonah's God on them for what they did because I mean this storm was a pretty big storm. They never seen anything like this. And they didn't want to mess around with that God. So in their human strength, they tried to avert this calamity. Pick it up in verse 13 through to 16. Instead, the men did their best to roll back to land, but they could not, for the sea grew even wilder than before. Then they said to the Lord, O Lord, please do not let us die for taking this man's life. Do not hold us accountable for killing an innocent man. For you, O Lord, have done as you pleased. they took Jonah and threw him overboard, and the raging sea grew calm. At this, the men greatly feared the Lord, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows to him. God had a plan all along the way in response to Jonah's waywardness. What's striking here is that the sailors' response is that they feared and now reverenced the God of the heavens and earth. Jonah's God. I think God had their attention, don't you? they got a mighty fine object lesson as to who the Lord God of heaven and the sea and the land was. Well, jo- did Jonah die? Not quite. But we read in Jonah one seventeen that the Lord provided a fish. Jonah one seventeen. The Lord provided a fish to swallow Jonah, and Jonah was inside of the fish three days and three nights. So in conclusion, what do we need to say? Sometimes what we need to fear is not the storm itself. The storm isn't there to kill you, but maybe to put to death your disobedience. It's called the end of self, what you want. It's how we respond to the storm. We learn what God has for us to learn. The storm can challenge us to be obedient and follow God more closely. I realize that, God, when I stray away from you, bad things happen. It's not good. And yet, it's a lesson that we have to learn over and over again. But you know what's really neat? Even though we have to learn that lesson over and over again, that God in his mercy still takes us back in and says, if you repent, I'll take you back. If you repent. God is a God of second chances, third chances, even fourth chances. That's how great his mercy is towards us. Storms can make us bitter and resentful. We have a choice as to how we respond. But The question is, will you make the right choice? Maybe God, through the storm that's happening in your life, God is calling you back to himself and saying, I want you back because I never wanted to let you go. But somehow, somewhere in your life, you've gone down your own road, your own path, your own way, and God says, I'm bringing some storms along because I want to bring you back. You know, a typical story like this would be like somebody disobeys God and God kills him. That's not God. God takes situations like that and just in his mercy uses us when we just shake our heads and say, You're using, You still want me back, God? And God says, Yeah, I do. Repent, and I'll give you a new life. Repent, and I'll give you new strength. Repent, and I'll give you a new heart to follow after me. That's what God wants. What's the story of Jonah? A prophet with a hardened heart that God's going to soften so we can use him. God needs to soften all our hearts that we might follow him. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word to our hearts. And help us take these truths home. We ask it in Christ's name. Amen.